On December 1st, 1994, a rare music dealer hustled through the London rain to make it to an auction held at Sotheby's. I know, most classical music stories don't start in the mid-90s, but stay with me here. This music dealer, he was on a mission. Some clients had pulled their money and had asked him to make a very specific purchase. He was to bid on lot 33, a small black locket. The auctioneer opened the bidding at 2,000 pounds. That's about $5,000 today. The price took off from there, edging up and up and up. But the music dealer stayed in the bidding, and he clinched the deal. His winning offer was nearly $10,000, about double where they started. Lot 33 was won. The pricey little locket was bound for the United States. The buyers were waiting. They didn't just want the locket. They wanted what it was holding. Tucked inside was a strand of Ludwig von Beethoven's hair. I'm Jade Simmons, and this is Decomposed. We bring you the stories that have shaped classical music, the heartbreaks, the betrayals, and the acts of sheer genius that changed everything. Now, you know Beethoven. He's the biggest name in all of classical music. He's the guy people think of in this genre because he's everywhere. If you learned to play the piano as a kid, I bet you spent hours playing this one. I know I did. The first Beethoven piece I remember truly mastering was the third movement of the Moonlight Sonata. This fingerbuster. And of course, there's Yeah, that one. Beethoven's story is one a lot of people think they know. But the truth is, there are still so many questions, and there's so many people looking for answers. Researchers are digging away in his papers and his compositions. Craftsmen are trying to reconstruct the exact kind of piano he would have played on, to know what it would have sounded like. Scholars are theorizing who his love letters were really for. And there are like nine potential ladies they've come up with, by the way. On top of all that, there's a whole flock of people who've tried to find an answer for why Beethoven went deaf. It's a cruel irony, right? That one of the world's most famous composers, whose work we hear everywhere, lost the ability to hear his own music. And it's not that he just had a hard time hearing in his old age. No, this started in his 20s, before he'd even written any of the music we just played. The theories for what caused his hearing loss are all over the place, and they've changed over the years. There's typhoid, syphilis, nerve damage, alcoholism, and let me repeat, they're all theories. People have so many questions about Beethoven and his life that they'll look everywhere and do anything, like paid $10,000 for a locket with a chunk of hair clipped from the head of a dead Ludwig von Beethoven. 
That locket and the hair, all 582 strands of it, now sit at the Beethoven Center at San Jose State University. A handful of members from the American Beethoven Society were the clients at that Sotheby's auction. They bought it and donated it to the center. The hair strands underwent four years of testing. What did we learn? Beethoven likely had lead poisoning, which could not have been pleasant. But did that cause his hearing loss? Again, we can't say. The why, as in why did he go deaf, that's something we might never know exactly, no matter how much hair we analyze or how many tests we run. But the question I'm fascinated by when I play his music is the how. How did he continue to compose when he couldn't hear? It's easy to think his hearing loss held him back, but I think that's the exact wrong way to approach this. While we were researching and reading and listening for this story, we talked with Stephen Whiting, a Beethoven expert and professor at the University of Michigan, and he flipped everything on its head for me. I've been playing Beethoven's music and thinking about his story for decades at this point. And I've always thought that Ludwig van Beethoven composed some of the world's greatest masterpieces in spite of his hearing loss. But Whiting says maybe, just maybe, Beethoven created those masterpieces because of his hearing loss. I'll explain. First... Let's just all prepare to feel really inadequate. Ludwig van Beethoven was a child prodigy. And like so many stories of uber-talented children, he had a stage parent. His father was kind of a nightmare. He started showing off Beethoven from the time he was six, or was it seven? Beethoven actually got confused about how old he really was because his dad kept saying he was younger to make him seem even more impressive. And young Beethoven, he had drive. When he was around 12, he sent three piano sonatas directly to the Archbishop of Cologne, along with a note saying he had no choice but to compose. His muse was willing him to. At 12! The other thing Beethoven had? Vision. Let me geek out on some music history here for a second. When Beethoven was learning to play, the piano was just catching on. I know, the piano seems like a staple, like we've had it forever, but that's not true. When Beethoven was growing up, more people played the harpsichord. You can hear the difference, right? how dainty and light that tends to sound. Compare that to the piano, which could really deliver the drama. And Beethoven, a man after my own heart, he wanted drama. Even when he was a teenager, he was experimenting with the piano and creating music totally unlike what people expected. He wrote this at 19, when he was chosen 
over many much older composers to write a piece mourning the death of Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II. What you're hearing, it's a performance from 2013. This piece, it was never played while Beethoven was alive. One story goes that he delivered it too late. Others say that the score was too complicated. The orchestra wouldn't play it. They weren't ready for what Beethoven was bringing. For all this huge, raw talent, Beethoven had a personality to match. And I am not saying that as a compliment. He got out from his father's control in his early 20s, and he left home for Vienna. This is like the 1700s version of packing up to move to New York City when you want to be a star. And Beethoven made an impression in the city. He was a genius at the keys— he could play anything. He could play it from memory. He could play variations on it. He could probably play it backwards. But what he didn't play was the game of polite society. The aristocracy was still decked out in powdered wigs and silk stockings at this point. Beethoven was there with his wild hair, his tattered clothes, and his attitude. One woman who met him wrote... He used to stick his head in the door and make sure there was no one there whom he disliked. He was small and plain-looking with an ugly red pockmarked face. His hair was quite dark and hung shaggily around his face. Oh, when I read that, I think that's what people thought of him. He brought his attitude to his concerts, too. He was a demanding perfectionist. And when he wasn't happy, he'd unleash a temper tantrum. Maybe the attention was feeding his ego. Or maybe that's just how he always was. He definitely thought he was special. He wrote to one of his patrons, Prince, what you are, you are by accident of birth. What I am, I am through myself. There have been and always will be thousands of princes. There is only one Beethoven. Okay, rein it in, Ludwig. You know what the infuriating thing is? He's right. He was special. There is only one Beethoven. I mean, just listen. I say all of this because I want you to understand who we're dealing with here. When the music that he's playing starts to go from this to this. The trouble starts in his late 20s. A ringing sets in, in his ears. And a hiss comes. This grew to be constant, Beethoven said, 
absolutely maddening. You can only truly start to grasp what he was dealing with here if you understand how hearing loss works. It's easy to think that when someone has hearing loss, it just sounds like turning down the volume. But that's not it. Hearing loss isn't a simple question of volume. It's a question of clarity. When you begin to lose your hearing, you lose clarity, like an image getting more and more blurry. One thing that can happen is that you lose the ability to hear higher pitch sounds, like some voices or instruments like flutes and violins. And then the sounds that are quiet, they disappear. Whispering, leaves rustling, quiet sections of a symphony, lost. But the loud sounds, they're still there, distorted maybe, and sometimes even louder than they were before. The loud sounds getting louder, it's caused by the nerves in your ear trying to compensate. The quiet sounds have gone away. So the nerves send even more information to your brain about what you can hear, the loud stuff. Not only are you now missing the low, quiet stuff, You're overwhelmed by the loud. And all of that with the constant ringing and hissing. just affect the way Beethoven heard music, of course, but how he heard people. Conversation became almost impossible. He lost the ability to hear the higher notes of voices. Things got blurry when someone spoke too fast. And when people tried to be helpful, they would yell. But remember, that would have just made loud sounds even louder. Beethoven said, As soon as someone shouts, I find it unbearable. He wrote all of this in a letter to a friend, detailing the symptoms that had been wearing him down. The worst thing was that he was keeping it secret from the public. He didn't want people finding out that he, a musician whose career depended on listening, was losing that ability. He was cutting himself off from almost everyone. He was so exhausted by the strain of trying and failing to communicate. This can be the hardest part of hearing loss, the social isolation. For two years, I have avoided nearly all company, he said, since it is impossible for me to tell people that I am deaf. Beethoven was desperate, and he tried an endless string of medical treatments to deal with his hearing. He saw doctor after doctor, and they prescribed treatment after treatment. Hot baths, cold baths, leeches, almond oil. His hearing loss was gradual, deteriorating in unpredictable levels year after year. He was convinced he could meet it head on. He wrote to another friend, 
I am resolved to overcome all this, but how is it going to be done? After the break, Beethoven tries to turn up the volume. Hey friends, I'm Lauren Ober and I'm the host of Spectacular Failures, a new podcast where we dig into the true stories behind some of the biggest blunders in business history. Like when Kodak fumbled its own amazing invention, the digital camera. Or when Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's Christian theme park tanked because of scandal and fraud. Some of the stories are funny, some are sad, some are like, wait, what? No way! But each one will give you a totally new perspective on big business and big failure. Check us out at SpectacularFailures.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jade Simmons, and this is Decomposed. About a year after putting the symptoms down on paper and finally admitting to a few of his closest friends what was happening to him, Beethoven left Vienna with a note of resolve to find a cure for his growing deafness. On doctor's orders, he went to the small town of Heiligenstadt to spend time in the quiet Having to leave the city and seclude yourself in the countryside to save what's left of your hearing doesn't bode well for life as a famous pianist. You can see his hearing loss pushing him away from life as a celebrated public performer and towards long stretches where he's alone with his thoughts. In that isolation, he was super productive tucked away from the city. That spring and summer, he wrote sonatas and worked on his second symphony. That is where Ferdinand Ries found him. Ries was a student of Beethoven's and a family friend, and he came to visit the composer in the countryside. There, they walked together in the woods, and there they saw a shepherd, The shepherd was playing a flute made from an elder tree branch. Beethoven could not hear the music at all. Reese said he couldn't hear it either, but he was lying, trying to shield his teacher from the truth of what was happening to him. In the quiet of Heiligenstadt, Beethoven's hopes for a cure, those disappeared. We know this because Beethoven wrote this aching letter to his brothers. He never mailed it. It wasn't discovered until after his death. He kept it tucked away all those years. It's called the Heiligenstadt Testament. In it, Beethoven writes about feeling jerked around by doctors and false hopes. That's over now, he said. He was, quote, finally compelled to face the prospect of a lasting malady. 
But he still didn't want people to know what was happening. He wrote, What a humiliation for me when someone standing next to me heard a flute in the distance and I heard nothing. Or someone heard a shepherd singing and again, I heard nothing. Such incident drove me almost to despair. What happened in Heiligenstadt nearly pushed him to suicide. He wrote, A little more of that and I would have ended my life. But he didn't. And this is the line that just breaks my heart when I read it. When he's talking about suicide, Beethoven writes, It was only my art that held me back. It seemed as if I could not quit this earth until I had produced all I felt within me. It's almost a point of reinvention for Beethoven. He can't deny what's happening anymore. I imagine he can see where he's headed. He knows his performance days will end. But what he's living for now, literally living for, is to make sure he can get all the music out of his head and on to paper. When Beethoven returns to Vienna from his time away, his music changes. Critics call this his middle phase or his heroic phase. And heroic means just what you think it would hear. Bigger, louder, grander. He writes the Eroica Symphony with these wild emotional swings, taking listeners from a funeral march all the way to bolder, brighter moments. And because I love these moments, I want to share a review from when this premiered. This just shows how much our musical tastes change and evolve, and how much Beethoven was continuing to push the boundaries. This critic wrote that Beethoven's Eroica was shrill and complicated, and said that only people who worshipped Beethoven would like it. That's like being a movie critic who trashed The Godfather when it first came out. Now, in addition to the Eroica Symphony, you know, that shrill, complicated mess, this middle period also gives us the Beethoven piece. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It was called his Symphony of Destiny. And in it, you can hear that. I mean, it starts one way, so dark and brooding, but eventually, after such a journey, we get to this place of triumph. I can only imagine that this is how Beethoven saw his own life played out right here in the score. For a man facing down his fate, 
wondering how to go on, deciding he must? That's what you're hearing right here. You can almost feel him focused on living for his art. Even as his social life continued to dissolve. By the end of his heroic period, Beethoven basically couldn't hear anyone unless they were shouting. He'd managed to carry on a love affair or two up to that point, to smile and nod and at least pretend he could hear what was happening. But not anymore. His performances became harder to watch. One observer said, there was scarcely anything left of the virtuosity of the artist, which had formerly been so greatly admired. Instead, now they were saying Beethoven banged on the keys until the strings rattled. The piano was out of tune, and he didn't seem to know or care. When he played, the music was, quote, unintelligible. It's difficult to imagine this famous, wildly talented musician being anything less than perfect, But that's what was happening. His secret was no longer a secret. It was obvious now. Beethoven could not hear. But the composer was nothing if not resourceful. He had more music to produce. Through experimentation and sheer will, he pushed forward. When he couldn't hear his piano as well as he wanted to, he tried other models to find a good and loud one. He even had people build him a giant resonator. It's basically a half shell that could sit on top of the piano and project the sound back at him. And you've probably heard the story about Beethoven chopping the legs off his piano and playing it on the floor so he could feel the vibrations. That is a super great story, and probably just that, a story. But he did take all these steps to adapt because he was still writing music. Scholars call this his late period. One of the biggest triumphs of Beethoven's career is his Ninth Symphony. This is the piece that always gets everyone talking. Can you believe he did that when he couldn't hear the high notes, when he couldn't hear voices, when he could barely hear the instruments? And I want to reinforce, it's not a triumph because he composed it near the end of his life with near-complete hearing loss. It's a sheer triumph all on its own. This brings me back to how we think about Beethoven. Professor Stephen Whiting, the Beethoven expert I mentioned earlier, says, think about it like this. If Beethoven had never lost his hearing, we'd probably know him today as one of the greatest piano virtuosos of his time and a pretty good composer, too. That's because Beethoven would have continued to divide his time between performing and composing. But Beethoven did lose his hearing, and it's possible that caused him to channel his creative energy into writing music in a way he might not have if he'd still been performing. And that, that singular focus, that gave us the ninth. It's the first major symphony ever to use a chorus. So just when you think Beethoven might go out quietly with that good night after an absolutely revolutionary career, no, he comes back at it with something more inventive than ever. 
Maynard Solomon writes that deafness did not impair and indeed may even have heightened his abilities as a composer. But even though the talent was there, Beethoven as a person almost derailed this entire thing. In his later years, the composer had become even more difficult, which, considering he didn't start out as a peach, you can imagine what fun this was for everyone around him. He stopped trusting people, even close friends. He threatened to move the premiere of the Ninth Symphony out of Vienna, out of the land of Mozart and Haydn, and plop it down in Berlin, which did not have the same musical reputation. Thirty people signed the letter begging him to keep the performance in Vienna, flattering him and promising him that he could be in charge of all the arrangements. That was a dangerous agreement to make, to let Beethoven get what he wanted. It was like he was 19 again. Remember when the orchestra said his music was too hard to play? Now, with the Ninth Symphony, the soloists were saying it was impossible to reach their notes. And the stress got to Beethoven. He wrote that he was feeling cooked, stewed, and roasted. He turned on everyone around him. In the lead-up to the premiere of the Ninth, he would leave notes on top of the piano for his secretary to deliver. To a friend, he wrote, Visit me no more. The concert will not take place. To his principal violinist, he wrote, Do not visit me again. No concert. And to his secretary himself, Do not come near me again until I send for you. No concert. Luckily, the secretary just chose not to deliver any of those notes. The premiere of the ninth went forward. There was still one huge hurdle, though. Beethoven wanted to conduct. He seemed to have forgotten or ignored that the last thing he tried to conduct with his diminished hearing had ended in total chaos. So the story goes... Plans were hatched behind Beethoven's back. The producers arranged for a veteran conductor, Michael Umlauf, to be on stage. They told Beethoven it was purely as backup. But that's not true. Umlauf told the musicians to watch him and ignore Beethoven. On May 7, 1824, Beethoven, in a green frock coat, instead of the classic black, which he didn't own, took the stage a few paces ahead of this backup conductor. Beethoven couldn't hear the audience snicker as Umlauf made the sign of the cross over the players' heads. Beethoven raised his arms. Umlauf did the same, behind him and slightly to one side. The musicians were ready. That night, the audience realized they were hearing something extraordinary. We can only speculate, but Beethoven was likely hearing this. Just a fraction of what he created.
When it was all over, the applause and cheers filled the building. But Beethoven stood with his back to the crowds, unaware. One of the soloists finally stepped forward and gently touched Beethoven on the shoulder. She signaled for him to turn around. He turned to see the raving crowds. He hadn't heard them calling his name. Beethoven. 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 to Matthew Wynn, director of the Listen Lab at the University of Minnesota, for his expertise on the fundamentals and realities of hearing loss. Portions of this episode were produced using audio samples from the Listen Lab. Help Decomposed reach more people. Take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. It helps new people find the show. For a complete listing of the music you heard in this episode, go to decomposedshow.org. That's decomposedshow.org for more about the music you heard this episode. You'll also see our reading list there. For this episode, we highly recommend Hearing Beethoven by Robin Wallace. Find more titles at decomposedshow.org. Decomposed is hosted by me, Jade Simmons. It's produced by Tracy Mumford and Ryan Lohr. Chris Julin is our editor. This episode was written by Tracy Mumford and Laurie Stern with me. Sound design by Hans Buto. Production assistance from Chrissy Pease. Engineering by Corey Schreppel. Thanks to Elizabeth Lundy, our researcher, and Ryan Katz, our fact checker. The Interim Director of Podcasts for APM is Lauren D. You can find Decomposed on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Decomposed Show. That's at Decomposed Show. Tell us your favorite composer and who we should cover next. Decomposed is made possible by Inspired by You. NPR's Capital Campaign, and the generosity of Ruth and John Huss. Much of the music featured is courtesy of Naxos of America Incorporated. Before you go, let's talk about how these stories get told. Decomposed is a public radio podcast that is supported by your donations. This show and shows like it only happen with your support. Donate today to hear more shows like this from APM Podcast. Give today at decomposedshow.org slash donate.